Welcome to the Baseball Show, Chicago's only interactive nightly show focused on the Cubs, the White Sox, and Major League Baseball. On radio, on app, on podcast. Listen to the show your way on ESPN 1000 with a new ESPN Chicago app. The, the Baseball, Baseball Show with Jonathan Hood. Presented by Goose Island Beer Company. On Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. Welcome in. It is the Baseball Show here on ESPN 1000 from the First Midwest Bank studio. Fred Eupner in for Jay Hood. I'll be in again on a Friday evening before Black and Abdallah take over the reins of the baseball show beginning next Monday night, August 17th, when we have our set lineup with Cap and Jay Hood taking over in the mornings from 7 until 10 o'clock. Uh, just want to start off by saying congratulations to all those guys that worked with Hoodie for years and years and running into Black and Abdallah on Sunday mornings for the last two or three years. Great things for guys that are working their tails off. Nice to see they were rewarded justly. So we've got a lot to talk about here on the baseball show for the next hour. Then we'll talk some Blackhawks and other things and uh, football. But the baseball show is brought to you by Goose Island Beer Company. You can always follow us on Twitter at ESPN MLB Show. Give us a call at 312-332-3776 and get to me on Twitter at Fred underscore Huebner. And uh, the White Sox playing an afternoon game today after dropping the first one in Detroit. Dallas Keuchel talked to the people over Zoom, talked to the gathered media, and basically let the White Sox have it. And since then, the White Sox are 2-0 and AK after Keuchel as uh, they have hit the ball. And when you hit the ball, you win games in Major League Baseball nowadays. Forget about that moving a runner along and getting a guy in from second. It's all home run or nothing. And the White Sox got more homers again today. They end up winning the game, a final of 7-5. to five. This after an 8-4 to four win yesterday. Yesterday it was Abreu with a double, a three-run shot from Eloy and Carnacion going deep. Um, today... It was Tim Anderson. It was the TA show, the Tim Anderson show today, as Tim Anderson did all kinds of great things for the White Sox today, and he was back in the lineup, back in the lineup for the uh, White Sox, back at the top of the lineup, which is something that he enjoys doing, Uh, but it's nice to see TA back in the lineup, and the first at bat, first at bat of the game, Tim Anderson, a 10-pitch at bat, and it certainly paid off with this. But we, you will hear that in a moment. Uh, so Tim Anderson with a 10-pitch at bat, and what's he do? He just keeps fouling balls off. And not fouling them off deep or anything. He fouls one off into the third-base coach's box and fouls one down the first baseline. And he fouls one back behind the catcher. And he's just continuing to foul the ball off from Matthew Boyd. Boyd has struggled this year. He comes into the game with an ERA of nine. And Anderson, what's he do? Leads off the game, takes him deep. Goes deep, home run. As Anderson rounds the bases, he gives, and you heard this from Chuck Garfine when he was just on with the Waddle and Sylvie show. He gives like a little shush as he comes to third base. And after the game, He said he was shushing his critics because 
a lot of people said that he would probably lose that first that leadoff job, and he didn't. Not with the way he hit today. So that the home run leads off the game. Then it was Eloy Jimenez, and Eloy goes oppo, hits the ball out of the park, two nothing. First two batters of the game go deep. Let's listen to the first two homers of the game. Tim a drive to left field. He waited him out and bring him home. one nothing Sox. Tim Anderson, a long, fruitful first at bat. Eloy Jimenez rocks this ball to right field, and it is gone. Back to back in the first inning. You didn't even take a swig of your drink yet, and it's two zip. Eloy using right field effectively. That's not one of his farthest. Doesn't really have to be far that way. No, it didn't have to be far. It was just far enough. That's all you need when you hit home runs, as you heard the highlights, courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago. So the White Sox jumped to a 2-0 lead right out of the box. The sixth career leadoff home run from Tim Anderson after that 10-pitch at bat. Anderson then later on a leadoff triple in the third inning, his second time at the plate. So you figure when a guy's going for the cycle, the toughest one to get is the triple, okay? The single, the double, the homer, eh, those happen quite a bit. Triple's not so easy. The ball gets stuck underneath the fence in left field. The left fielder, instead of doing what you're taught and raising your arms up, he tries to dig the ball out, and as he does, Anderson just keeps on running, gets all the way to third base, and that so he gets the two toughest ones right off the bat. You finger a single and a double, no problem. Abreu with an RBI ground out. The White Sox go up 3-1 because Scope had homered. Um, In the fourth inning, with the White Sox up 3-1, Dylan Cease had his problems. And let's go into this a little bit more. This will be like the first pitch is Dylan Cease. We'll talk about the game a little bit more. Sox win 7-5, Anderson with four hits. But Dylan Cease is a guy that coming into the season, I was expecting good things for In Dylan Cease's last start, he threw five scoreless innings. Now, on the face, you would say five scoreless innings for the White Sox starter. That's awesome. It was the worst scoreless five innings I'd ever seen in in the history of baseball. Dylan Cease walked five guys, four of them to lead off the inning. He had the dreaded leadoff walk four times in the five innings he pitched. Now, he got out of the game. The White Sox end up winning. Today, Dylan sees six innings, five runs, seven hits, one earned run, and I'll explain that in a second, two home runs. Now, I'm hearing a lot of people say, well, it was great. Dylan Cease closed it out with a strong uh, fifth and sixth inning. Yeah, that's really nice. But what Dylan Cease did in the fourth inning, there's there's a runner on second, and all of a sudden, Dylan Cease strikes a guy out. But the problem with this is that the catcher, James McCann, called for a slider down and in. <laughs> what does Dylan Cease throw? A 96-mile-an-hour fastball right at James McCann's head. He can't get his glove up in time. He moves his head to the side so it doesn't hit him in the helmet. It goes to the back of the screen. They call it a pass ball. Now, an intelligent scorekeeper might have given him a wild pitch because you saw that he crossed up the catcher. So because of that, the runs that followed were unearned. So what happens after that? Grenier, a two-run double, makes it 3-3. Then Willie Castro, a two-run homer. And you knew, after Grenier hits the two-run double to tie it, I'm sitting on my couch by myself. 
and I'm saying this first pitch is going to go out of the park. And it did. You knew that Dylan Cease was going to throw a ball. He threw one right down the pipe, and Willie Castro belts it for a home run, 5-3. to three. Again, those runs were unearned because they called it a pass ball. Awful call by the official scorer, but Dylan Cease did buckle down. The White Sox got some runs, but when I'm watching, and if you're a longtime White Sox fan, let me know, 312-332-3776. When I'm watching Dylan Cease, I think of a White Sox pitcher that pitched for the White Sox. He actually pitched for the White Sox when the White Sox won the World Series. Dylan Cease reminds me of John Garland. Now, I hope if you're driving, you're holding onto the wheel. Because John Garland was one of the more frustrating pitchers the White Sox had. Now, again, in 2005, yeah, they throw four straight complete games against the Angels in the American League Championship Series. That was great. They go to the World Series. John Garland pitched well. But John Garland was one of the most frustrating guys of giving up a lead right after the Sox got it. And what does Dylan Cease do today? The Sox have a 3-1 lead. He gives up four runs in the fourth inning, and they trail 5-3. to three. He stuck around. Granted, he pitched better in the fifth or sixth innings. But it's so hard to watch Dylan Cease throw. If you're a Sox fan, you watch the game today, let me know. 312-332-3776. We'll talk more about Dylan Cease. Let's first go on out to the phones. Let's go to Northbrook. And Mark, Mark, what's going on? Hi, Fred. Huge fan of yours, by the way. I've been listening to you for years on the phone. It's funny that you mentioned Garland. I think his best year, I think, was 18-5 and five at one year, and after that, he never did the same. Right. Um, my question to you, though, is what do you think are the odds of the White Sox and or the Cubs, both actually, making, A, the playoffs um, with this expanded season, and also their chances of winning the division? Obviously, the Cubs being 11-3 are the front-runner best team in baseball, but I'd like to see the way what you think about the White Sox making the playoffs now that they've won two in a row in eleven and nine and Minnesota slumping. So I'd just love to hear your response. Sounds great, Mark. I appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words. The thing about the White Sox is even when they were struggling, they were only a half game out of the, the last playoff spot. With the expanded playoffs and eight teams going from both the American and National League, um, I think there's a really good chance. But the White Sox have to play better baseball. A lot of people are saying, and I saw it mentioned uh, by several people, people, among them Scott Merkin, um, that the next 15 games the White Sox have are in Chicago because they play the Tigers, they play the Cardinals at home this weekend, they play the Tigers four-game series, then they play the Cubs next week at Wrigley, and then I think they go back home. But the next 15 games in Chicago, that's fine. You know what the problem is? The Sox were 1-4 on the most recent homestand. So I think that Dallas Keuchel's little speech to the gathered team after the game on Monday about them just going through the motions, that was the perfect time. Now, they win two games in Detroit. Let's see what happens with this weekend series. But I think there's a great possibility that the White Sox get in. Winning the thing, I'm not so sure about that. Yankees have really good pitching. We'll see what the White Sox pitching staff does. Uh, Chuck Garfine mentioned that the White Sox pushed Giolito and Keuchel to Saturday and Sunday, which leaves that Friday game open for a bullpen game, or maybe the White Sox don't think that Friday game is going to be played. We'll talk more about the White Sox when we come back. We'll also get into some Cubs stuff I want to talk about from yesterday. Cubs right now holding on to a one nothing lead in the fourth inning after Anthony Rizzo goes deep. 
We will talk some Sox. We'll talk some Cubs. We'll talk with you. It is the Interactive Baseball Show. It is the baseball show right here on ESPN 1000. 312-332-3776. Jump on in. Freddie Huebner with you. Filling in for Jay Hood. Tonight's baseball show is brought to you by the Whistle 2 in Tinley Park. Stop in and grab a couple Goose Island White Sox Golden Ales tonight. The Whistle 2 in Tinley Park is a proud official White Sox bar and is a fabulous place to watch a White Sox game. This is the Baseball Show with Jonathan Hood. Cubs, Sox, and so much more. Presented by Goose Island Beer Company. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Fred Huebner in for Jay Hood as we're talking about baseball, as we do on the baseball show, Monday through Friday from 6 until 7 o'clock. Jay Hood moving in the mornings. It'll be a Cap and Jay Hood coming up on Monday morning, 7 till 10. And the baseball show will be manned by Black and Abdallah as they take over on Monday evening. Um, we'll get to the Cubs in a second. There's some Cubs stuff I want to talk about right now. They're threatening to score. They have a one nothing lead over the Indians in Cleveland. And uh, it's a nice little thing for Kyle Hendricks. He pitched in Cleveland. I think you guys, you Cub fans, remember that. Tyler, you remember when Kyle Hendricks pitched in Cleveland, right? Oh, boy, do I. Yes, that was... <laughs> I mean, what it was Waddle and or Waddle or it was Sylvie and Abdallah? They were talking about the, the their favorite games of all time that they had been to, and that was certainly one up there for both of them. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, the Cubs win the World Series, and we were all mad at Joe Madden because we couldn't figure out why he was pulling Kyle Hendricks. But I guess that's water under the bridge. So the Cubs threatening; they have a one nothing lead. If in fact they score while I'm chatting, uh, Tyler will jump on in and let you know what happened. But a couple other White Sox things I want to get to. A lot of people have been talking about, um, White Sox fans have been talking about their pitching, their starting pitching hasn't been working. But you know what? They have not been hitting the ball. They had a homestand where they went one and four. They lost uh, two games to Milwaukee. They went one and two against Cleveland. They go on the road. They lose the first game to Detroit. They were not hitting the ball. Listen to some of these numbers. The White Sox had 382 base runners in the first 17 games. Only 48 scored which gave them a 12.6 success rate, 26th in Major League Baseball. After Monday's loss to Detroit, now granted, the White Sox won the last two games, 8-4 to four and 7-5, to five, because they hit the ball. They hit the ball out of the park. After Monday's loss to Detroit, the White Sox had 23 base runners on third with fewer than two outs, only 10 scored, a 43.5 success rate. The Rockies led the Major Leagues with an 80% success rate. The Sox scored three or fewer runs in 10 of their 18 games. What did they do the last two games? I just said they scored eight and seven runs. They're able to do things. And I know Sylvie, Sylvie's probably driving home. Sylvie, I love you. I listen all the time. I heard what you were saying. Sylvie didn't want Luis Robert to be out of the lineup the other day. He was out of the lineup on Monday when the White Sox lost to Detroit. And then you had Dallas Keuchel talking about, you know, some guys not taking professional at-bats and just going through the motions. Well, Luis Robert had to sit down. He was three for 24 over his seven games. One home run, two RBIs in August, both coming on August 1st. Now, what Luis Robert did today is he belt, he swung at the first pitch. <laughs> he swung at the first pitch and hit the first pitch in the first three at-bats he, he had today. One of them, 
being the double high off the left or right center field wall, which cleared the bases and led the White Sox to the win. So Luis Roberts still a young guy. He's going to get beat by people. You're going to have to give him a rest once in a while. And he was struggling, as Chuck Garfine mentioned when he joined Waddle and Sylvie. Uh, he was three for 24. He was struggling big time. And he, he's gotten better. Things are okay right now. And uh, the White Sox come home, and they play St. Louis. And 312-332-3776. We'll talk about um, St. Louis in a second. You want to jump on in and talk about the White Sox. You saw the game. One other thing about the White Sox, their bullpen. Talk about young arms. You got Zach Birdie, the kid from Downers Grove South. Pitched the other day, looked really good. Matt Foster, his first five MLB outings, seven and two-thirds, two hits, no runs, two walks. He has struck out 13 of the 26 batters he's faced. He's done great. He's done really well. And You've got Cody Hoyer. You had Cordero today put a couple of guys on base, but they were able to get out of a jam. That was nice to see. Uh, Evan Marshall has pitched well. Colome came on. He got out in the uh, ninth inning today. So the White Sox are coming home. One last thing on the White Sox, and we're shifting over to the Cubs. But you want to jump in, we'll always get back to it. 312-332-3776. You can get to me at Fred underscore Hubner on Twitter. Um, the White Sox are scheduled to take tomorrow off. And then they play the Cardinals this weekend. The Cardinals have a record of two and five. They have played just five games this season. And they are four and a half games behind the Cubs. Cubs are 11 and three. Cardinals are two and three. <laughs> the Cardinals have played nine fewer games. And what we heard from Bob Nightingale is that there has been no positive coronavirus tests since Sunday for the St. Louis Cardinals. If that continues, there will be a game Friday and there will be a game Saturday and Sunday. Hopefully that continues. It would be nice to see the Cardinals start playing baseball. The Marlins have been playing baseball after they were out for a while. And right now you see the Marlins with a record of seven and four. They're playing very well with a patchwork team that Don Mattingly is uh, leading down in South Florida. So I am eager to see the Cardinals back in. Plus, on my fantasy team, I have DeYoung and I have Goldschmidt. It's, it's kind of hard when you have these kind of guys and they're not playing. 312-332-3776. Let's go to Tom on the northwest side. Tom, what's going on? Hi, Freddie. Always a pleasure to hear you on the air. Thanks. What's going on? Uh, just wondering if I ran these names by you, I'll give you my opinion just real quick. Encarnacion. Uh, I know he's had 30 home runs for 10 years straight, but do you think the Sox are going to resign him? Rodon's got to go. Gonzalez has got to go. Mazzara was a bad trade. you got to keep McCann. Got to resign him. I'd like to trade uh, Rondell. I wonder about how you feel about that. Uh, just that, just to run across those things. Cease is a big disappointment, like you say. He's so hard to watch. I mean, I'm sure by listening to you, I'm sure you remember John Garland. I mean, Garland would, the Sox would take the lead and Garland would give it up immediately afterwards. And that's how I feel when I watch Dylan Cease pitch for the White Sox. It's so frustrating. It's so hard to watch. A roller coaster. Yeah, I agree with you about Encarnacion. You got Encarnacion for a year. There's no reason to bring him back because Rick Hahn has put a lot of DHs in this team. And if you get rid of Encarnacion, you can, you know, Grandal can stick around. 
He's just not the catcher that I think a lot of us thought he was. He's a guy that's made a lot of money because of framing. And eventually that's going to go away. They're going to have computerized balls and strikes. Computerized, yeah. Yeah, and it's going to go away. He he had two pass balls and allowed a ball to be to go past him for a wild pitch earlier in the week, and it was so it was just aggravating to watch him behind the plate. I like what J- James McCann does behind the plate. Plus, McCann should catch Giolito every game the rest of the season because even though it's a short season, because he's Giolito had something. Surprise that guy. He's been a yeah. surprise. And he's been hitting the ball too. He got another hit today, and he had a line drive that thank goodness. Uh, Abreu got back in time. Otherwise, it would have ended the inning. And because Abreu got back in time, Robert was able to hit that base-clearing double that gave the White Sox the lead and eventually the win. Rodon is so sad for me because he's a guy that does have good stuff, but he can't stay healthy. It's it's terrible. He can't stay healthy, Tom. Tom, I appreciate the call and all the kind words. Thanks a lot. 312-332-3776. The Cubs still holding on to a one nothing lead. They were unable to score despite the fact they had second and third and just one out in the top of the fourth inning. But the Cubs are playing great baseball. And you know the togetherness this team has. And a lot of people are giving credit to David Ross. Okay, fine. I'm saying it's the Cubs' way. I'm saying it's the players they have. They don't have a lot of ego players in this team. If I tell people that Javi's kind of an ego player, Will they get mad at me because I'm a White Sox fan? I watch every single Cubs game. Javi's got amazing talent. Sometimes he doesn't run the ball out. Uh, Wilson Contreras, a guy I love watching. Chris Bryant, he's not hitting right now. But thank goodness you got guys like Rizzo. And how about Jason Hayward? I heard Cap last night on his uh, video recap talk and just praising Jason Hayward. Do you remember what Cap was saying a year and a half ago about Jason Hayward? And I'm not just calling out Cap because we all said it. We all agreed with him. But Cap said that Jason Hayward, number 22, should have had his number changed to 43 because all Jason Hayward ever did was bounce into the 4-3 putout, the second baseman to the first baseman, the 4-3 putout. And Cap was right on because Hayward was struggling. You know what? Jason Hayward's not struggling right now. It was so nice to see him last night. He had three hits, drove in the first run of the game for the Cubs with an RBI single. Contreras had a sack fly, half with an RBI single, but Hayward put the game away. A three-run home run, three hits for the game. And John Lester, we talk about the Cub pitching staff. And before the season, we said, who's going to be the starter? Is it going to be Hendricks? Is it going to be Darvish? Is it going to be Hendricks? Is it going to be Darvish? And what do we see? We see that John Lester has come to pitch. John Lester has come to play. And earlier today on MLB Network, they broke down some of John Lester's pitching over the last couple of years, what John Lester did over the last several years and how he's pitching. We're going to talk about that in just a couple minutes. Really quickly, before I take a break, let's go to Nate. Nate, what's going on? How you doing, Hube? Uh, great hey, to uh, hear you filling in for, uh, for Jay Hood here. I just want, I want to talk about uh, Dylan Cease a little bit more. Um, Dylan, uh, I think it's got to be taken into account that he's 3-1 and one at this point. Right. And I think that White Sox fans might be hovering over the panic button a little bit too early with this guy. What did he have? Ten starts at the AAA level. Um, didn't have a full rookie season. Uh, and, and there's no denying that, you know, his stuff is looking incredible this year. I mean, the guy's throwing 99 um, yeah. 
pretty consistently yeah. with that fastball. And I'm just wondering, do we have these same feelings as White Sox fans where it seems like a lot of panic in a 162-game season if we're 9-8? and eight? Um, Or is it just, are we quick to the panic button because we're only 60 games in, but the guy's only 3-1? and one? You know, you bring up a, Nate, you bring up a great point because I think I am kind of overreacting. But that's what I, I mean, as a Sox fan, that's what I do. Uh, I kind of thought... <laughs> I'm that, the same way. Yep. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> thought after last year that Dylan Cease would be a little bit further ahead, and what we saw in that summer camp game and all the other stuff, and him pitching against other, you know, the White Sox and all this stuff. I, I thought we'd see a, a guy that has moved. I think he's got everything. He's got all the tools. I think it's just in his head. I think he got. He's got to get out of his own head. He's got to throw exactly what James McCann asked for and not cross him up. And if he does that, I think he's going to be okay. Um, I think but, the biggest thing is he's he's young. I understand he's still young, and it, it's great to have a young pitcher like that on the White Sox side. You you, you see him though, and he he does, he did this last year. Where he has that one bad inning, but yeah. then he's able to yeah. move past it, right? So you're saying he's young; it's in his head. I think that just gives me confidence that he has that in him to move past that bad inning, and I think he's going to end up being a top one, two, three starter on the White Sox here in the next seven years. Yeah, Nate, I don't think there's any doubt. I appreciate the call. Uh, I, listen, I want Dylan Cease to succeed. I just I, I want him to stop reminding me of John Garland. We come back, we're going to break down some of John Lester because John Lester is doing some things so different than he's done in years past, even things he did in 2016 when he helped lead the Cubs to the World Series. We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to The Baseball Show, 312-332-3776 here on ESPN 1000. Tonight's baseball show is brought to you by the Whistle 2 in Tindley Park. Stop in and grab a couple of Goose Island White Sox Golden Ales tonight. The Whistle 2 in Tindley Park. Proud official White Sox bar and is a fabulous place to watch a White Sox game. The Baseball Show with Jonathan Hood. Catch up on your time. Click the Baseball Show tile for the podcast on the new ESPN Chicago app. The Baseball Show, presented by Goose Island Beer Company. On ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Fred Hilton in for Jay Hood here on The Baseball Show. And don't forget, The Baseball Show starting Monday will be handled by Chris Black and Adam Abdallah. They will be with you every Monday through Friday night from 6 until 8 p.m. Everybody knows I'm a craft beer fan, uh, including my producer, uh, Tyler Rocky. Tyler was nice enough to buy me a craft beer for my uh, birthday just back in May. But uh, Chicago's oldest brewer, who happens to be a sponsor of the show, Goose Island uh, Brewing Company, Goose Island Beer Company, I'm sorry, um, they have announced that their Black Friday, one of their special variants, every year on Black Friday, they, announce, they release seven or eight variants of beer and the week before that, they have a prop day, and it's one of the most highly attended things. This year probably won't be because of COVID, but they've got a special variant coming out this year, the Bourbon County Anniversary Stout, aged two years in barrels from Weller 12. Now, I'm not a bourbon drinker, but Carmen DeFalco is. And from what I understand, Weller 12 is an awesome bourbon, and they're going to release a beer, the Bourbon County Anniversary Stout, Age two years in those barrels. Cannot wait to hopefully get my hand on some of those. Uh, hopefully, I'm sure the uh, good people at Goose Island Beer Company will make sure uh, that happens. Uh, before we went to break, I was talking about John Lester. And 
I've been a Lester fan. I was thinking that John Lester would pitch the first game of the season this year. But again, my fine producer, Tyler Rocky, disagreed with me. Uh, didn't you, Tyler? Yeah, I remember <laughs> I was telling you during the break, I think we had this conversation back in February, maybe early March, back when we thought this was going to be an 162-game season. Sure. And you brought up this question of, is it going to be Hendricks or is it going to be Lester that starts opening day? And I butted in and said, well, I think it's actually the competition is, is Lester's not even on that slate. I don't think he's on David Ross's radar, even though Ross was his personal catcher back in the day. I think this is a Darvish versus Hendricks conversation because of the way that Darvish finished 2019. And obviously he goes the route of Hendricks and Hendricks has that standout opening day shutout. But if you're talking about consistency for this year, John Lester is really the only guy in the rotation that hasn't had a clunker. He has been no. lights out in all three of his starts so far. He's made he's made three starts. He's allowed seven hits and two runs in three games. That's it. Today, Dylan Cease allowed seven hits and five runs in six innings. John Lester has been very, very good. Last Yesterday, he went six innings, allowing a run. He, has, he struck out four. My only problem with John Lester last night on the Bet Rivers app, I had John Lester... Over four and a half strikeouts. Oh. <laughs> he only got four. See, that's and the thing were... with his starts, though. They're not stretching him out, which I'm fine I with. I mean, you look at his pitch count so far this year. 76 in the you... opener, Did 89. Yeah, and then 93 yesterday. So they're yeah. not stretching him out to your typical Lester starts where we see him go 105, 110 sometimes that we saw right. at times. But yeah. he's Last looked night he very good. Have. Yeah. So earlier today on MLB Central, uh, it's a great show. I try to watch it or DVR it every morning especially when I'm doing a show. When I'm doing the baseball show, I definitely watch it because i got so many notes here that are gonna, I'm not going to be able to get to half of them. But on the baseball show today, they talked about John Lester and his pitch percentage against right-handed hitters. And they broke it down, what he, what he was like in 08, what he was like in 16 when they won the World Series, and what he's like now. His fastball percentage against right-handed hitters in 08, when his fastball was 92.7, he had a little more giddy-up on it, 47.2. So he threw the fastball almost half the time. In 2016, believe it or not, his fastball was 92.5. He threw it 63, almost 64% of the time to right-handed hitters. This year, he's throwing his fastball 39.6. So 40% of the time to right-handers. His fastball now down to 98 miles an hour. But what he's doing is he's using his changeup. His changeup in 08, 4.7% of the time. 5.7% of the time in 2016 against, uh, you know, when they won the World Series. This year, he's throwing that change up 17% of the time. Between that and his cutter, which he has went from 16.2% in 2016 to 32.7% now. So the nice thing about old pitchers, and there's always been a phrase, Tyler, you're a younger guy, but when I was growing up, and actually the Indians are just bringing in a guy that you would call a crafty lefty. And Oliver Perez is more of a crafty lefty because he tries to do everything. He quick pitches you. He does the Louis Tiant turning around, looking to center field. He does everything. But John Lester has become a really good pitcher, not a thrower like he was in 08 when he's throwing almost 48% fastballs. But he's become a pitcher. 39% fastballs, 32% cutters, 17% changeups. And they had a great thing today showing how Lester will throw the ball and the cutter on the inside part of the plate. And what he does is he basically moves the plate. So the hitters now are never going to swing at a pitch on the outside part of the plate. 
and Lester gets him out there because instead of a 17-inch plate, all of a sudden he makes the plate like 23 or 24 inches. Because of the cutter, they can't get to the ball on the outside part of the plate. Great, great stuff. John Lester is doing well. The Cubs holding on to a one nothing lead now as they are in. Uh, Wilson Contreras has been ejected from this game as well. Oh, what did that, he do? He, so there was a third strike in the dirt, and he checked his swing. He thought he didn't check. or Well, he wanted an appeal down to first base, but the home plate umpire made the call. Yeah. And so he slammed his bat down, broke it, and was promptly tossed. <laughs> That's bad. You don't want him to get, to get tossed right. because, let me see. He's, uh, I believe Caratini's DHing today, too, if right. I if I saw yeah, so you probably bring Fegley in at this point. You don't want to lose your uh, – you can't lose a DH anymore, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that even works. Yeah. If you put a DH, is it – that's interesting. I don't know how that would work. If you moved a DH into the position, usually – well, he would just have to play a position, right? I think if you're keeping him in the game, I believe he they could slide in someone else too. But, yeah, I mean, if you've got Fegley on the roster, although – I think one so, of the you know decisions, what I'm saying because yeah. uh, because before with the DH you would you, you would lost lose the it, DH right yeah mm-hmm. and your pitcher would have to hit well now exactly. they're so I don't know how that would even work interesting I'm, I'm Let, thinking too because all right you've got the bases loaded right now if Hayward can break this game open if they can break this game open right here maybe you feel a little bit better about throwing Fegley out there as opposed to maybe putting a, a stronger bat in yeah. the DH spot yeah well the way Hayward did you know. It, Took it to everybody last night. He's hitting the ball really well. He's looking really good at the plate. And I think that's all Cub fans wanted. You haven't heard a whole lot of the $184 uh, million and stuff like that. So that's a good thing. So um, we come back. Adam Plutko of the Cleveland Indians has some words for his players that decided they were going to go out and have fun on Saturday night after – playing the White Sox in the wonderful city of Chicago. We'll hear from him when we come back. You're listening to The Baseball Show here on ESPN 1000. Uh, tonight's baseball show is brought to you by the Whistle 2 in Tinley Park. Stop in and grab a couple of Goose Island White Sox Golden Ales. Do it tonight. The Whistle 2 in Tinley Park is a proud official White Sox bar and is a fabulous place to watch a White Sox game. Four balls, three strikes, a double play, and one. Place to hear the baseball show with Jonathan Hood. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. The baseball show with Jonathan Hood. Presented by Goose Island Beer Company. The Cubs have tacked on a couple of more runs as they are taking care of Cleveland. Uh, what is it? Is it 4 nothing now? Yep, 4 nothing. Okay. 4 nothing. as David Bodie drives in a couple. He gets uh, thrown out as he rounded first a little bit too far and gets caught in a rundown between first and second. So the Cubs and Kyle Hendricks with a 4 nothing lead over the Indians. Yesterday, because of stupidity on the part of Mike Clevenger, along with Zach Plesek, the Cubs got to face Adam Plutko, and uh, the Cubs came away with a nice win yesterday as they knocked off the Indians in the first game of their series. Um, after the game, the Indians pitcher Plutko basically didn't pull any punches and talked about the way he and the rest of his team feels about the Indians pitchers that decided to, eh, it's Chicago, it's a Saturday night, let's go on out. 
the Indians are not too happy about it. Give it a listen. They lied to us. They um, sat here in, in front of you guys and, and publicly said things that they didn't follow through on. And um, it's, it's going to be up to them. Uh, it, it really is. And, um, you know, I'll let them sit here and tell you how they're going to earn their trust back. Um, I don't need to put words in their mouths. Uh, you know, the term that I've continued to hear, and excuse my language, is grown-ass man, right? So those grown-ass men can sit here and tell you guys what happened and tell you guys um, what they're going to do to fix it, and I don't, I don't need to do that for them. Yeah, the rest of the Indians were not happy either. Um, you look at the, today's pitcher, Carlos Carrasco, is a guy that, that overcame leukemia, and he's back in the big leagues. And all of a sudden you have two pitchers, and I'm not sure which is worse. Zach Plesek went out and got caught. Mike Clevenger was with him, didn't get caught, took the team plane back to Cleveland before letting everybody know that he was ex- actually with Zach Plesak. So I'm a little surprised that these two games were even played because, you know, apparently Clevenger, and I didn't hear anything about this. Maybe I just didn't look deep enough, but I would think Clevenger would have had to be tested. You think all the in- the rest of these Indians players, the team is, baseball is trying to, be as cautious with their protocols and everything else. And then you have two pitchers who decide, you know, we're going out. And just a terrible thing, in my opinion. And um, what they've done right now is that Plesak and Clevenger are basically on the restricted list. And they're going to figure out what the punishment is. And it's the players that are going to figure it out. The, you know, the uh, Cleveland Indians, I said, listen, you guys figure it all out. Whatever you want to do, we'll do. And uh, it's, it's, it's just sad. And I know a lot of people out there, they're not big on wearing masks. I saw what happened out in Florida today, and there's no, no wonder that they just keep having more and more people test positive. Um, but Major League Baseball is trying to play a Major League Baseball season. We see the St. Louis Cardinals have played five games. Right now, there's been 11 games played by the Miami Marlins. Um, the Cubs have not had a player test positive yet. They're the only team in baseball that has not had a player test positive. And now you see what happens with these guys, um, with Clevenger and also with Zach Plesek. Just ridiculous. And uh, we'll wait and see what happens. A couple of quick baseball things I want to get to. Um, And one of them is Charlie Blackman. Um, Charlie Blackman from the Colorado Rockies, he got off to a slow start in the summer camp and things like that, but he has come out gangbusters. Uh, he has more three-hit games this season. Here's a nice stat for you. He has more three-hit games this season than the Cardinals have games played. Um, he's the first player since Barry Bonds in 2004 to be batting at least 500 through his team's first 17 games with a minimum of 50 plate appearances and the seventh in MLB history. Charlie Blackman right now, going into today's games, hitting 500. He had 68 at-bats, real simple, 34 for 68. So if he gets another 164 at-bats, it would put him at 232 for the season. Hitting 400 in 232 at-bats would have him collect 93 total hits or 59 more than he has right now, which would mean going 59 for 164, which is 360 the rest of the way. That's still a lot. That's That's still quite a chunk for him to hit in order to be at the 400 mark. Tyler, I'm not sure what your thoughts are about this. It's only a 60-game season, but what he's done so far, only seven guys 
or only six other guys in the history of baseball have done this through their first um, uh, was it through their first 17 games. It's pretty damn impressive what Charlie Blackman's doing. I'd love to see him do it. No doubt it's impressive, but I err on the side that Jeff Meller also leans on and that I'm not going to acknowledge it in the same light as Ted Williams if he hits 400 because doing it over the course of an 162-game season versus a 60-game season is way, way different. However, I'm not going to diminish it if he wins the MVP because with the way his numbers are right now, I think he's the front runner for NL MVP, no doubt. He leads the league in hits, RBIs, o- OPS, OPS plus, on base percentage, obviously batting average. He's up there in every statistical category. I'm not going to knock him down a couple pegs with his MVP because I think the MVP is totally legitimate if he were to win it. But to say that he's a legitimate 400 hitter off of this season, I would not buy into that. No, I agree with you on that. But it's still, it's still nobody else is doing it. So he would still be impressive because he would be a guy, the only guy in baseball, that this season would be hitting that. One other thing um, that makes it look like maybe it would make it tough is Colorado still has 10 games against L.A., more than 23% of the remaining schedule. Uh, Overall, Colorado is the second toughest strength of schedule remaining. This according to Fangraph's playoff odds, which could make Blackman's uh, 400 quest just a little bit more difficult um, than we're all talking about. Uh, a bunch of other things I had. We might get to some of these um, in a little bit. But Dylan Bundy. Remember the name Dylan Bundy? Oh, yeah. Uh, you, know, I, you probably remember him, too. You probably saw him when he was in the minors or mm-hmm. somewhere else. Yep. But Dylan Bundy's a guy. Yesterday, seven innings, no runs, four hits, a walk, and nine strikeouts. He's got an ERA of 157. Um, let's see here. Um, his His whip is 0.63. He's striking out almost 11 per nine innings. Just amazing stuff stuff that he's doing. And then there's so many other guys in baseball. Can anybody explain why Azrubal Cabrera is not with the Cubs or the White Sox? The one position that the Cubs or White Sox really were struggling or looking for is maybe a second baseman. The Sox knew they had Madrigal. But Azrubal Cabrera is putting up monster numbers. He signed a one-year $2.5 million deal in January. It was a great pickup. Um, well, it's not in the, the north side bu- budget. We know that. Well, two point five million is nothing. <laughs> Don't I mean, tell really that to the Ricketts, though. Two point five million as Drupal Cabrera would look great. Now Kipnis is getting playing time and he's looking okay right now. But then they also have Nico Horner and they also have other things like that. I didn't realize till just now when I turned around that Chris Bryant's in left field. Um, that's that's stupid. He could have got. He looks like he could be hurt. Yeah, there you go. That's what happens when you take a third baseman and put him in the outfield. Uh, We'll talk more about that. We'll talk some hockey as the Blackhawks lose their opener. Uh, We'll also talk some football as Matt Nagy had his guys up at Hallis Hall. He talked a little bit on a Zoom conference with the uh, gathered media. We'll discuss all that uh, as we're finishing up the baseball show brought to you by Goose Island Beer Company. We'll be right back after this on ESPN 1000.